Hello, and welcome to Cool Story Guys. I'm Jeff. I'm Ethan. And Ethan, in the last chapter, we talked a lot about bodies. One of the rules that I had to use for my story was body swap. So it's not really a big surprise that physical forms were a major theme. I just did a little control F on my chapter on the website, and it turns out I used the word body 39 times in my chapter. <laughs> I didn't notice that, but yeah, yeah, I get <laughs> So continuing that theme, I figure we just keep the body train rolling and keep talking about it here. You've got a body. Yeah. I've seen it. How do you feel about that body? Um, yeah, I could use some work. It's uh it's an older body. My time in Berlin put a lot more years on it than intended. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh I'm comfortable with it, you know? Like it's not like I'm embarrassed by it, but you know, I think as you get older you start to look at your your body and realize, you know what? I'd like to stick around a little bit longer, so let's start doing some sort of exercises. So so Jeff, I bought a kettlebell. And I and I, I sometimes move that Ooh. up and down. Okay. And that's about it. Okay, yeah. Sometimes you swing a bell around. I'm almost forty and sometimes I swing a bell around. Yes, that's how I'm gonna that's how I'm gonna solve this. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? I both love and hate my body. In general, I have good health, so I can't be too upset that most of the problems with my body are cosmetic ones. But I've been a chubby person my entire life. I have fat genes. And there isn't a whole lot that people with fat genes can do to fix the situation outside of like dedicating their entire life to dieting and fitness, which I am unwilling to do. Yeah, that's counter to your um, lifestyle of eating amazing food, cooking amazing food, and traveling to badass places. So I wouldn't want you to do that anyway. Yes. We talked about Aristotle's golden mean a few episodes back, and I feel like that applies to health as well, where even if my body demands the extreme to lose weight, that extremity has negative repercussions on my mental health, and it's just not sustainable at all. Yeah. So I have to be happy being one of those healthy fat people that most effortlessly skinny people refuse to acknowledge actually exist. I always thought that was kind of funny, because actually, if you look at the default of humans, having fat on you is not a bad thing, necessarily, you know? <laughs> having six-pack is actually a very bad thing. If you think about, <laughs> like, <laughs> the, our world, that means you're starving to death, so... Yeah, that's a funny one. Based on the way that our culture treats people with large bodies, I'm convinced that every child that grows up overweight just gets to be cursed with some form of body dysmorphia for the rest of their lives. You know, the interesting thing about it is I've I've not been chubby my entire life, but I've been I would say I've been thick my entire life and I've have had moments of fitness where I've etched out some abs and let me tell you, the happiest I am is when I'm thick. I'm not so happy when I'm, you know, really fit because people are like, oh, wow, you look really fit. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm not doing anything fun right now except for lifting weights. So um, <laughs> I, I can speak on that, but I kind of feel like those people that get really, really ripped, like unbelievably, like there's a ceiling to that. And I kind of feel bad. I'm starting to kind of feel bad for them a little bit too, because I mean, it's, it's tough to compete in this world of, of super muscle boys and super muscle girls. I mean, that's, that's the big thing. It skinnies out, but now it's like muscles everywhere. And I don't even know if I have muscles in places that other people do. So that's a <laughs> tough one. These poor kids. You've lived as thick Ethan and as ripped Ethan. Have you ever fantasized about body swapping with someone else? Yeah, I mean, I think everybody has. I think, you know, for me, it's kind of a height thing more than a muscle thing. 
I've always wondered what it'd be like to just be a unusually tall person mm-hmm. and just to roam around the streets as an unusually tall person, reaching things off top shelves, boosting people up into trees to rescue their pets. <laughs> I don't know if I would do anything remotely useful outside of that, though. Like, I wouldn't want to play professional sports or anything. I just want to be able to use my height to kind of help out the neighborhood, you know, being the neighborhood tall guy. That's quite a fantasy for me, I'd say. Aside from just wanting to be taller, is there anyone in particular that you would body swap with now where you're like, you see their body and you're like, ooh, that's a good body. I'd, I'd take that one. Hmm. I mean, I have to kind of think about that a little bit because, like, you don't want to be too tall because then airplanes are tough. Wait a minute. Let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. Is it a body swap like a short term or like a forever body swap? Let's just start with one that is sort of purely cosmetic. So you see a body, you like it. You don't have to think about it being forever. It's just, a, I like that body better than mine. So I feel like while you're thinking of yours, I can tell you some of mine. Yeah. Because I feel like it's sort of reveals maybe a pattern or a a proclivity because the guys whose bodies i want kind of look the same which means i i kind of got a type yeah (laughs) so i would either you know off the top of my head want chris pine's body or ryan gosling's body so i guess i like the sort of blonde good looking not too ripped not too tall just sort of like good looking american guy yeah the classic Yeah, classic good-looking blonde guy, because, you know, that's what I thought I was going to be as a child, and then I did not turn into that. I never thought I was going to be that as a child, but I can see that. I can see that that kind of wheelhouse of just enough masculinity to get by, but not so much that you have to maintain it too much, because I feel like the Goss in off-season, he could let his hair down a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, he can have a couple extra ho-hos, maybe a couple more beers at night than usual, and then he can easily get back to that. Whereas Like, The Rock can't do that. Like, The Rock has to constantly be eating pounds upon pounds of codfish to be able to maintain his physique. Absolutely. You know what? I'm going to have to agree with you. I I would say, from that cosmetic perspective, those are all very good examples. If we're going for height, I'm going Yao Ming. (laughs) You want to really go to the top of the height spectrum. He's tall. He's structurally sound. He's not one of those tall guys whose limbs are all like way too thin and like the wind could blow him over. I mean, he's, you know, he demands attention when he walks into the room. And from what I understand, he's a pretty nice guy. So yeah, I think I would go with a Yao Ming height from a functional perspective, but from a purely looks perspective, I agree with you. The Goss, maybe even a Ryan Reynolds. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I could see you as a Ryan Reynolds. I could see you changing your entire appearance and being a Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) (laughs) There are two sides to a body swap, though. Not only do you get to have that person's sexy physique, you also get to have their position of power. And for a lot of people, I think that may be even more enticing. Which is more enticing to you? Would you rather body swap into a superhero body or a Yao Ming body or into somebody whose life is just more fun? Hmm. Please remember that this is just a fun thought exercise, so ignore the fact that doing so means you would be abandoning your wife and child. <laughs> I was going to say, that, w- that would be my first response to it. It always comes back to your wife and child. No, just play in this space with me, Ethan. Forget about them. <laughs> to be quite honest with you, I think, uh, I think I'm generally a pretty fun guy, and I think that me inserting my 
soul into somebody else's body, even if they have a dull life, I think I can make it fun if I had like a superhero body. Like I think I can make it real fun. So so I think to me it's it's that that body swap. Because you don't want to like body swap into like a multi-millionaire and it just life is boring. You have to have a little bit of struggle, you know. You don't want to have too many cheat codes, let's say. So yeah, to me it's it's let's get that cosmetic, let's get that skin suit wrapped around me and let's have a good time. You see, I don't really see people who are boring and have lots of money as their situation being boring, it's that they're boring. And if you have a lot of money and you're bored, that's on you. Yeah. Because you can do literally whatever you want. But for me, the trick is that you can't just swap with someone who has real exceptional skills that you don't, where like, I would absolutely love to live my life inside the body of Beyonce but the jig would be up as soon as it was time to make music, and I had no idea how to make generational pop masterpieces. So, like, that one wouldn't work. I feel like if you put me in Chris Pine's body, I could do what Chris Pine does. Yeah. He's got charm, but so do I. But he's good-looking, and he can act. I could do that a lot better than I could pretend to be Beyonce. Do you think that if you took over Chris Pine's body, you could diversify the sort of parts that he's been playing over the last couple of years? I think it rules that he got to be Captain Kirk, and I think he did a totally fine job in Wonder Woman. So, I mean, I would keep taking the parts that he's getting, to be honest. Those are the kind of movies that I would want to act in. I wouldn't want to be in Shakespeare or anything. I would want to be the fun, handsome guy. That sounds like much more fun. I mean, I think everybody just wants to be that fun, handsome guy. No responsibilities, playing Captain Kirk. That's the dream. Mm -hmm. That's the true American dream because no one can afford to buy houses anymore. So yeah, I get that. That that makes sense. I think for me, part of it is just what's going to be the most fun. I got to thinking about who is having the most fun on Earth and whether or not I would want to be them. But I had kind of a hard time narrowing that list down to a single candidate. Who do you think is having the most fun out there? Right now, as we speak, who is having the most fun? Just in your opinion. Oh, boy. Wow. Man, that's a really, really tough one. You know, I feel like I always see videos of Hugh Jackman. He seems like he's having a good time, but it's also relatively wholesome as well. Mm -hmm. Um, He's doing some off-Broadway type stuff. He's doing the movies he wants to do. He's always happy and smiling. He lives in Australia. Maybe a Hugh Jackman. He just seems like literally like he's having fun. I've seen other celebrities that give off the vibe of having fun, but then they have like dark dead eyes and I'm like, yeah, they're not having fun. They're just doing it for the gram. (laughs) I think my answer of who is having the most fun is probably a retired sports superstar. And that would be the person who I would want to switch with because then you don't actually have to be good at the sport anymore. You're super rich. Your body is probably still a fine-tuned machine, you know, at least more than yours or mine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then you get to do whatever you want all the time. My wife and I were actually just talking about the post-NFL career of former Indianapolis Colts quarterback Andrew Luck, who did the extremely smart thing of retiring from the NFL at 29 with millions of dollars before his body and brain were destroyed. And now apparently he just lives in the woods in a small town in Indiana and goes fly fishing and plays Settlers of Catan with his friends all the time. And boy, that sounds like the life for me. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. And actually, as somebody who's from Indianapolis, um, I think Andrew Luck can thank the uh, offensive coordinator and uh, our lack of ability to draft good linemen for his uh, short (laughs) career and his now million-dollar life in the woods. But to me, that's it. Simplicity, not having to worry about bills day-to-day, 
interacting only with the people you want to interact with. I think that sounds good. I don't know if I need to drink Bacardi like it's my birthday <laughs> on a regular basis, but I'd like to have the option. Is that a thing he does? Um, I think that's from a rap song from the early nineties. <laughs> I don't know what Andrew Luck's drink of choice is. I feel like he's a, I feel like he's a beer man. He seems like a simple guy. Yeah. He seems like he enjoys a simple can of beer. Just a simple can of beer. <laughs> okay, well, we got some fun ideas of who we would want to swap bodies with. Jaw got the best of both worlds by body swapping with the Blood Summoner. He finally got a taste of what it was like to be both physically and psychologically imposing to others. Shall we do a recap to see how all of that worked out in Chapter 7, Ethan? I think that's a great idea, Jeff. The Blood Summoner is really pissed off at Jaw and Kaya. He's got his fang saber stuck into Jaw's shoulder and is screaming at the young man about how he didn't earn his magical trinkets and how his warp walking is ruining the multiverse. Jaw asserts that the tongue chose him and offers to prove that he's worthy of using it. The blood summoner has him pinned, so there's no point in opening a portal. So Jaw takes a wild swing and tells the mirror, I want his power as my own. The two switch bodies, and Jaw's immediately enthralled with the much stronger, fully adult snake man form he is now inhabiting. Some guards come to see what the commotion is, and Jaw instructs them to go and stash his old body somewhere safe. Kaya is nonplussed by the whole situation, but Jaw's confident that this is a turn for the better. All of their problems in the past were caused by the Blood Summoner, and now that Jaw is the Blood Summoner, they get to make all of the rules. That means Jaw has to explain to the elders of Orin that Kaya has been brought back from her exile in the compound, and is now the Blood Summoner's most trusted companion. He also proclaims that the blood sacrifices are finished, and that no one else will be exiled from Orn. The elders are confused by the requests, but are too afraid to go against the wishes of their dark snake lord. Now at the top of the social hierarchy in the community, John Kaya can do whatever they want. Kaya decides to spend her time with the hunters, the group she always wanted to be a part of but couldn't because of her prescribed duties as a lifebringer. Jaw spends his days conversing with the oldest members of Orn society trying to soak in all the knowledge and wisdom he never had access to while growing up in the compound. Both he and Kaya have never been happier, but it's clear they are beginning to grow apart. Kaya is horrified at having to spend time with the Blood Summoner's body, even if she knows that it's her friend inside. Jaw doesn't seem to care that he's living inside a monster snake man body, until it begins to rapidly deteriorate. He asks the body what's wrong, and it tells him in the form of a craving that it desperately needs blood. Jaw feels like an idiot for not realizing that the Blood Summoner's body needs to summon blood to stay powerful. He starts draining animals and his power begins to return, and the people of Orin are only moderately creeped out by it, because it's still an improvement to how their terrifying leader used to act. Kaya has become the most successful hunter in the village, and Jaw is bummed out when she doesn't return to stay with him after coming back from a big hunt. The next day, he calls her to his chambers, but five other Blood Cult members show up first. They demand to know why his vein has run dry, and why he has not offered tribute to the Great Serpent. Jaw takes another wild swing and tells them that the people of Orn are infected with the disease, and that he can't give that nasty blood as tribute until he purifies it. To prove his point, he calls up a portal to the Putrid Coast and gives them a look at Ludo, claiming that this is what happens when the disease goes untreated. The angry snake people tell Jaw that they will give him time to fix the problem. But if he doesn't get the blood pumping to the Great Serpent soon, he and the whole community are going to be destroyed. The hooded figures leave and Kaya appears, having overheard the conversation in the hallway. She suggests that they leave Orn altogether, otherwise Jaw will have to actually become the man who oppressed him. Things were too good in Orn, and she never expected it to last, 
but at least they got to enjoy themselves for a while before it all fell apart. They retrieve Jaw's body from the pit it's been living in and find that the Blood Summoner has been working out down there so he can fight Jaw for his old body back. Standing face to face, Jaw crams a bunch of blue flowers in his mouth and waits until the last second before passing out to ask the mirror to give him his body back. The two return to their rightful forms, the Blood Summoner collapses, and Jaw and Kaya kick him back down into the pit. In deciding where to go next, they ask the mirror to send them to a place where men like the Blood Summoner don't exist and step through the portal to another new world. That was a fun chapter. I really enjoyed that. Thanks. When you first got your roles, were you thinking that the body swap was going to be a pro or a con for your creativity going forward? Mm, I didn't love the role. That is for sure. I don't know if I ever saw it as hampering my creative process. In fact, I guess the way I ended up looking at it was that it was a fun challenge to take something that was a plot point or a premise that I absolutely never would have written on my own and just tried to do the best with it that I could and to create something that furthered the story in a way that made sense, even though the premise itself was so outlandish. So... I didn't feel like it necessarily hampered my creativity, but I was excited to work within its constraints and see what sort of creative thing I could come up with. No, that's fair. When you were considering the body swap, was the Blood Summoner the first person that came to your mind, or did you think about other <laughs> other of the few characters that we've run into that could have also acted in that fashion? Well, this one's coming a bit early, Ethan. But this is actually my corner of self-doubt. It's the corner of self-doubt. This corner of self-doubt is actually very similar to the one I had in Chapter 3, where I had an idea for that chapter that went against what other people had told me they didn't like about the first story we did, which was that there were too many time jumps. So I didn't go with an idea that I really liked, which was essentially one big flashback. And this chapter was similar. I had an original idea that I really liked, but the reason I didn't go with it wasn't because of feedback from listeners of the podcast, but instead from what my entire education as a writer has informed me was not good storytelling. Okay, that's fair. So for all intents and purposes, no one tells us what to do with our story on this podcast, right, Ethan? No one tells us what to do. (laughs) Me, I tell you what to do. That's about it. (laughs) Exactly. I was going to say, yeah. For you, maybe, yeah. (laughs) We can do whatever we want with this thing. And this was the first time in the whole project where I decided against an idea I had for a chapter because conventional good storytelling told me not to do it. I was forced to write this body swap chapter, and you ended your chapter with the biggest cliffhanger of the book so far. So it really felt like the momentum had to stay with Jaw, Kaya, and the Blood Summoner, and that the body swap had to happen early in the chapter and really be like the meat of what the chapter was about. And so, you know, that's what I did. And it did not make sense to do what I wanted to do, which was to swerve the story right back to Torv. Yeah. Okay, I see that. We joked a lot in the first season about how the initial premise of this collaborative storytelling approach was one in which we were constantly undermining the other and undoing all of the hard work that they had done in their previous chapter. And there was definitely 
a part of me that wanted to do that to you in this <laughs> chapter and bring Torv back into the fold five seconds after you abandon him. <laughs> How would you have felt if I had done that? You know, I don't hate Torv. I just, I, I mean, I honestly, I think it would be kind of funny because I'm kind of waiting for those moments. Like we haven't taken too many of those moments, at least intentionally. So I think it would have been, I don't know, it could have been kind of funny to be quite honest with you. A portal just opens up. He's like, hey, guys, I figured it out. Boo, boo, boo. <laughs> no, I was going to shift everything back to the Putrid Coast again. So you were going to move John Kaya out of there. And then I was just going to pick up Torv's story and talk about how he finds these gross pod people who actually control some of the gargantuan beasts in the Putrid Coast. And then he gets hooked up into one of the pods and takes control of one of the creatures and becomes the apex predator of Monster World. But then it turns out that he loves being a giant monster too much, and life is too good, and he stays in the pod for too long, and it deteriorates his real body, and then at the end of the chapter, he is no longer super strong or particularly intelligent, but still on his mission to find a wizard to save his forest. Jeff, this was a good chapter, but- It was a good chapter. That actually is really good. That's really good. <laughs> but writing that chapter- would have undermined everything you did in Chapter 6. Exactly. Yeah. It would have nerfed the impact of your cliffhanger, it would have completely killed the momentum with John Kaya, and it would have forced us to keep Torv as this viable protagonist instead of someone who we can just bring back in some funny way towards the end of the story, which is what I feel like is sort of the natural progression of <laughs> the way you sort of let him wander off into Monster World, that that's the way that that <laughs> needs to play out. Like... It did not make sense to go back. Yeah. So as much as I wanted to write that particular standalone story more, it was not the better choice for the trajectory of the book. And I am still racked with self-doubt as to whether I should even care about making choices like this on the project, trying to do, you know, quote unquote, what is best, or if I should just write whatever the hell I feel like writing. Yeah, it's a tough one going into it. I think... Um I had the same kind of feeling last chapter about weirdness, you know, is is the weirdness too much and whatnot. But but I think you made the right choice. I think it was a really good chapter. And I think my next question it revolves around the pacing, you know, because obviously we've had a relatively frantic pace and this chapter kind of slowed it down a bit, but not to a point of being dull. Did it feel nice to kind of take a breath and allow John Kaya to explore kind of maybe their wants and needs more so than them just trying to escape being eaten by giant disease rats. Yeah, it was nice to be able to stretch out the timeline of the chapter from one day to many months. And we can sort of see what happens over a longer stretch of time. And I feel like that was required if you wanted to have a life is too good role, because life can't be too good for five seconds. It needs to be good for a prolonged period of time for it to become too good to be true, which is sort of the underlying part of that role, is that it's too good, so it's not going to stay that way. Yeah. It was fun to change the time frame of the chapter and let them sort of explore some alone time and see how that would affect their relationship. And also, it was a fun way to give them new skills. So now Kaya actually is a hunter. Like, okay, well, what's Kaya going to do when she can do whatever she wants? She's going to go be a hunter. So now for the rest of the story, she actually gets to be a badass instead of just thinking she might be able to be a badass. And Jaw, you know, is actually someone who has knowledge now because he's been sitting around 
talking with the people who had all of the knowledge in Orn for months and philosophizing with them and coming up with new ideas. So Jaws, like, actually smart now instead of just a precocious little scamp who likes knowledge. Now, speaking of Jaws knowledge, we've seen a couple situations where Jaw has used his intelligence to get them out of a tricky situation. But his curiosity has also gotten them into a couple tricky situations as well. And in this chapter, that happens too. Do you think that there's a chance that his intelligence and curiosity start to become a dual-edged sword? Uh, I suppose so. I didn't really think that he was the reason that they got into the problem other than the, do you mean by the body swap itself? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose the long-term repercussions of him not being able to keep up the guys as the Blood Summoner without actually having to become the Blood Summoner was due to the body swap, but I kind of don't see that one in the same light as like putting the mirror back together and bringing the monster back to life in the bottom of the cave. <laughs> it's not quite the yeah. same thing. Like He actually did a smart and got them out of the bad situation at the very beginning of the chapter with the Blood Summoner. And, you know, they got out of there. I guess my answer is no. I see him as becoming more intelligent and him solving more problems than he creates. Okay, that's fair. Well, with both of them now, in this chapter, they become more capable. Do you think that's going to take away from that fear factor of them moving to different worlds that they had before where neither one of them had exactly a full set of skills to allow them to survive? No, I think you and I play too many video games for the bosses to not get harder as they level up. <laughs> I mean, that is a good point. Like, <laughs> No longer can we just throw like the minions at them. I mean, we need to really give them some, some big challenges. So <laughs> I like that answer. That's really, really good. It's like Zelda. You know, you get a new little treat in every dungeon, and then you have to use that treat in the next dungeon to beat it. So they're smarter now, they're capable of getting their own food and being self-sufficient, and yeah, what we do with that, I'm not entirely sure. We've sort of just kept them in caves, cowering from monsters, so I would like the trajectory to sort of change away from that, because I don't want the book to just be that for the whole time, but we'll figure it out. Yeah, okay. I'm confident. I like that. And you saying that kind of makes me think, like, up to this point, they've dealt with a lot of physical challenges, the Blood Summoner being, I guess, kind of like the more intellectual challenge for them just because of, of his capability. But I think we'll probably have to start introducing some smarter creatures as well and beings. So that's that's a note for me. I've learned something in this question and answer right now. <laughs> so we finally meet the followers of the Great Serpent. Are you intending for them to be the big bads, or is that left up to me? Well... As I mentioned before, I wasn't originally ready at this point in the story to go back to Orn. And I think it's funny that we didn't talk about this on the last podcast, but you and I talked about it separately, that the end of your chapter before that was somewhat ambiguous. And when I edited it, I added the line, they were in the chamber of the Blood Summoner. But you had originally intended that the Blood Summoner was transported into their chamber in the Putrid Coast, right? Mm -hmm. And I changed it? Yeah. Why didn't you change it back? Well, because I got a little bit worried that if he came to the Putrid Coast, the Blood Summoner is strong on his own. Like, don't get me wrong, but he also has, like, all of these followers and whatnot. And I didn't know if I was nerfing the Blood Summoner by 
bringing him over. So when you made that update, I was like, oh, that's fair, actually. And that's kind of interesting. So that's why I kept with it. Well, the ramification of that, though, is that we had to deal with their unfinished business in Orn Mm -hmm. a lot sooner than I expected. So there are two ways that this works out, I think. Either it concludes in Orn, or they never go back there again. And I'm kind of fine with either one. Because they don't want to stay there. And, you know, maybe the story doesn't have an happy ending and they're forced to stay there. Or, you know, they get eaten by the big vine (laughs) octopus. But I'm not sure if I care to make the Great Serpent the big bad. Like, at this point, at the end of that chapter... They sort of just peaced out and were like, sorry, Blood Summoner, the yeah. Great Serpent's really <laughs> mad at you now. Have fun in your pit. That was really more the angle I was going with the ending of that. Yeah, I like that. I mean, that's a really good way that they use their abilities to kind of, I mean, they won in the end, and, and th- that's pretty awesome. It's the first chapter that we've written so far where things work out for them, and they win, and they walk into a portal confidently at the end. Yeah. It felt good. It did feel good for them to kind of have a better ending to a chapter and not just like, okay, in Devomit world, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I did appreciate that. But just to close this off, just, you know, theoretically, if the whole Blood Summoner actually needs to soak up blood to survive and then also give it to some sort of great being, wasn't a part of this chapter. If everything kept going fine, who do you think would have been happier living in Orin for long term, Jaw or Kaya? I think they would have both been equally happy. I think they both had exactly what they wanted. So I, I think Jaw fundamentally did not care that he was in Snake Body because everything was so much better than it had been for him stuck in Blood Jail his entire life. Yeah. And Kaya just got to do whatever she wants and be a badass hunter. So. Honestly, I think they both would have been fine to the end of their days. So for anybody out there who's been reading and listening and wants to give Jaw and Kaya a happy ending, go ahead and read up until this chapter about halfway through and then stop. (laughs) And it becomes a happy story. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So as we already mentioned, the roles for this chapter told me exactly what had to happen in the story. I left you with another blank slate at the end of my chapter, not a cliffhanger. Shall we go back in time and see how the Fate Index was going to exert its power over the story you were allowed to tell, Ethan? Ooh, I'd love that. Hello, distant Ethan. Hi. We're not that far removed from the pain felt by the body swap role. That one really told me what I had to do with my chapter. Now it's your turn to write a chapter. Is there anything that you really don't want to show up in your chapter? I don't know. I think the cat eat food is going to be really tough. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like you think that's going to be harder than I do. I, I, yeah, I think it, I I don't know. That one is kind of, um, that one. And then I guess, um, the nine, number nine, the ine- inevitable end is actually a rebirth. Like mm. it seems early. The body swap was early and I apologize f- for that. Um, but that seems pretty that the end is actually rebirth is in, uh, too early as well. Yeah. I feel like too many cooks in the kitchen at this point might be difficult, especially because once again, I'm giving you a blank slate 
to create a new world. Yeah. And too many cooks, we don't even have Torv around. That one seems like it would kind of be a pain in the butt. Yeah. So um, since I had to do body swap, I guess I am shooting for a 15. (laughs) (laughs) Screw you, Ethan. (laughs) Yes. These rolls are vengeful. (laughs) Vengeful rolls. Because it is your chapter, you should go first. Okay, let's go. Ooh, eight. An eight. Ooh, you almost got that nine. Yeah. Social faux pas has serious consequences. Uh, Okay. Okay, yeah. Cave people probably had social faux pas. Yeah. We've definitely created worlds that has society, so they they should have faux pas. In your last chapter, it was essentially could be interpreted as a, a social faux pas. So yeah, I think we're okay. That's an easy one. Yeah, this is a good one. This was one that somebody else gave us. So I'm glad when other people's, you know, submissions get rolled in instead of stupid ones that we put in ourselves. (laughs) All right, let's see what I roll. I have rolled a critical fail. Nothing happens when something is supposed to happen. Oh, boy. Oh, I wanted this one to show up in the climax of the story. Yeah. (laughs) And the odds of that were pretty low. But I'm glad it showed up at all. I'm surprised it took us eight chapters now to get a critical fail. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, now you need to have a big fart noise happen in your chapter. Yeah. You need a faux pas and a fart noise, and they (laughs) cannot be the same thing. That's the story of my life. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this will be the first time that the fart noise and the faux pas are separate things, Ethan. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, fantastic. You know, you've got choices here, and there's always the choice of bringing it back to Torv. And Torv definitely is going to faux pas up everything. But, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense to bring Torv back with these roles. I feel like Torv's going to come back dependent on the roles. Yeah. These are funny ones, but I think there's some options. I'm, my brain's already cooking some ideas right now. Yeah, I feel like these roles actually lend themselves to some comedy, which is interesting. You could write a funny chapter with these. I can't wait to write a very funny chapter. <laughs> In our horror story. It's just going to be farts and people falling down. Yeah. <laughs> okay, well, you have a good hard think on that, and we will go back to the future. Buddy, we did it. We finally rolled my favorite fate index submission of all time. Nothing happens when something is supposed to happen. (laughs) Yeah, I know, I know. (laughs) You had a little trepidation in your voice back there when we rolled it. We're in the future again. You've written the chapter. Do you still have trepidation about it? Uh, No, because, you know, just like you had said that the body swap was a very good creative challenge for you, the nothing happens turned into a lot of fun. I, this was actually probably <laughs> one of my most favorite chapters that I've written because it just, yeah. <laughs> I hope people like it. I hope people get it. It's a good one. Now we can look at the new roles that are replacing the ones we used in my chapter. Replacing a number 14, a bond is formed with an unexpected pet, and that is thanks to Scott. Yeah, we haven't had a lot of animals in this. I mean, not like friendly animals. So that's fair. We have had no animal friends. And in the last book, we did have animal companion as a role. 
which you covered and you gave us Jarto. You gave us a a magical ice breathing giant bear creature. (laughs) He was pretty fun. He ended up being a demigod. Yeah. So, you know, you never know where an unexpected pet is going to end up in a story like ours. Yeah. Thanks, Scott. What kind of unexpected pet would you give John Kaya? Man, I mean, you know, I always like those movies or shows where like this horrendous looking creature like wanders out of the woods and it turns out to be super docile. So like to me, I think an unexpected pet will be it'll be something gross, but it'll be something sweet. You know, they'll grow to love it and it may not have the best appearance, but it'll be loyal, loyal as they go. Yeah, I can see that. That really fits the vibe of our story. Like a snot monster is what I'm thinking, (laughs) to be specific. (laughs) Replacing number 18, Ghost Story, and that is thanks to Brooklyn. Yeah. When we first rolled, you know, like the very beginning of of before we started this book, it was, you know, like kind of supernatural creepy. And we've sort of danced around ghosts. We haven't had any real direct ghost outside of the uh, clay zombie from chapter two. Yeah, the Buru. The Buru. So uh, yeah, I, I think this, I want to get some ghosts in. I like ghosts. And we have never circled back around to the Buru. That role in chapter two was that he you know, starts spilling secrets of the past and he made some sort of cryptic, this world sucks. And yeah. then we <laughs> yeah, never, said exactly we that. never went back to it. This yeah. world's this a total sucks. bummer. I should leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't come back to that directly. But boy, have we like weaved a lot of potential for what that means. Mm-hmm. Even you in your last chapter. So yeah, the Buru. Good job, bud. So yeah, if we roll this 18, then I feel like our hands are tied and we have to finally address that loose thread. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to everyone for listening as we attempt to tie all of these loose threads of the story together into something that is fun to listen to and play along with. We would love if you would send us fate index ideas to thecoolstoryguys at gmail.com or on any of our social media handles. It really helps us get the story moving along. And, you know, it's gotta be fun to just have your idea written into the story, right? Oh, yeah. It's gotta be so fun. People love that. Yeah, I mean, I I was the one that put Body Swap in there, and then I had to put my own idea into the story, and I just loved it. (laughs) Loved every second of it. Okay, well, the next chapter, Ethan's gotta have a whole lot of nothing happen. So let's see what he does. Thanks for listening. Thanks.